You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. Tonight we're focusing on what it means to serve others and the importance of putting others before ourselves. And yes, there are feelings or emotions, there's understanding, there's, there's knowledge that we gain from serving others and, uh, and putting others above ourselves. But as Christians, we're called to serve others for much, much more than just the feelings and maybe understanding that we gain in return. There's a bigger, higher purpose behind serving others besides the feelings or just being a good person. Um, when I was uh, in high school, uh, I've talked about this a little bit, right? It doesn't look like it, but I played soccer uh, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was big even then, uh, but I wasn't the worst, so that's cool. And uh, so I played soccer, and every single practice, we started with at least three to four miles of running. And then we practiced, and then we would end with, like, tons of sprints, right? Um, that was, like light, the, like, light workout night, and then, like, heavier workouts. We would run, like, seven to ten miles and that sort of deal. And, and there was um, – I'd had different coaches throughout the years and that kind of thing. But when I was in high school, uh, the head coach at that point was, like, this drill sergeant kind of guy. Anybody had, like, a drill sergeant kind of, like, teacher or coach or something? Yeah, yeah. They just, like – even though, like, all you do in soccer is run, like, the main punishment, uh, if you, like, didn't do well or, like, do what he told you to do, that was, like, more running. Uh, and so um, you did what he said because you didn't want to run more, right? Like, you'd already run, like, four or five miles, uh, and then you didn't listen or do whatever he told you to do or disobeyed or something. You have to run, like, two more or something like like that. And so he just, like, commanded, like, this, this – that's, like, his leadership style was just commanding and demanding – uh, uh, there was this assistant coach who didn't have to but every single practice every single one he ran every single step with us he ran every single mile we ran at the end when we ran sprints he ran the sprints with us and he wasn't a young dude right like for whatever reason that that assistant coach decided that he wanted to be up among us and the relationship that I and the rest of my team had with the head coach versus what we had with the assistant coach were very different relationships. We listened to the head coach because we were afraid of him uh, and we were afraid he was going to kick us off the team or he was going to make us run more and that kind of thing. But whenever the assistant coach spoke up, whenever he was teaching us something, whenever we were hanging out with him, it was different. We still saw him as a leader, but differently. The relationship was deeper and better because he was with us. He led by example. He ran every single step with us. And there's, there's just a difference in the leadership style there of that commanding, demanding style, almost military-ish type style of leadership, which there are times for. Um, and then this, like, this sort of servant um, being among the people sort of leadership. There have been times in my life that I've been in leadership positions and I'll admit that there are times in those like, leadership positions throughout my life, um, there have been times in those that I've allowed myself to be, to, I've allowed myself to think that I was on a pedestal, that I was, I was better than the people that I was like leading a little bit. I would never outright say that because nobody would outright say that. It's kind of like 
a jerk thing to say, right? Um, but I just, in my own way, I would think, well, I'm, I'm the lead, I'm like the manager, or leader, or whatever. Like I worked at like GameStop and AT&T and all kinds of stuff like that a long time ago uh, in a past life that was terrible. And uh, when I was manager, that kind of stuff, I was like, well, I mean, I'm the manager. I don't have to like do the stuff that those people have to do. I shouldn't, I don't have to do that kind of stuff. I've paid my dues. I don't have to do that anymore. Like that's their job now. Uh, I'm too good for that, right? Again, I wouldn't have verbalized it like that, but that's what my actions, that's what my actions portrayed. You see, but we all, we all kind of do that from time to time, right? Whatever, whatever it is, whether it's like um, making that A on the AP test, and then you look at all the people in like the regular classes, and you're like, yeah, I'm in A and AP. What are you doing, Joker? Right? Um, or if it's like you made the team and somebody else didn't, or whatever. There's like all kinds of different ways that we allow our, ourselves to, to sort of puff ourselves up and think that we're better, that we're greater uh, than the people around us, and it it doesn't really help that our culture, like the American culture, um, really kind of the world culture, but the American culture especially, that like it just, we're supposed to have like the next best thing. We're supposed to be better than the people around us. We're striving to be the, be- the best, the greatest, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, supposedly America's like the greatest nation ever exists. I don't know that I believe that. And I just said that into a microphone, I'm sorry. Um, that's what our culture tells us is, is success though, is that like you've gotta be better faster, stronger, richer than the people next to you, the people around you, right? That's the measure of success. And before we know it, we act like the world revolves around us. I'm guilty of this all the time. And if you take a true healthy look at yourself, you would find yourself in, in that place from time to time as well. In those times that I find myself on that pedestal, often God likes to like kick the pedestal out from under me. <laughs> uh, so I fall on my face. But, uh, but I remember that assistant coach. Even to this day, I'm old, so that was a long time ago, right? Um, I remember that guy. And that he didn't have to run with us at all. He could have just stood there next to, this, uh, to the head coach and told us what to do and watched us run and watched us practice and all that kind of stuff. But instead, he stepped in and ran alongside us. And an even better example of this servant leadership, someone taking humbling themselves, even though they had every right not to, is Jesus, right? Jesus, the king of the literal universe, right? He's literally the king of the universe, and he chose to be a human, and he chose all kinds of stuff. We're going to look at that um, in a second, but instead of putting ourselves above others, we're called to put others above ourselves. It's, it's this reverse thinking from what the world teaches. And even in Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, it was, it was the same thing. A lot of what Jesus taught over and over and over again was this sort of upside-down way of looking at things from what the world would say, because the world would say, you've got to get what's yours. You've got to be better than everybody else. You, it's all about you, right? Like, you do you, you do what, to the best of what you can, no matter what, even if you have to run over somebody to do it. And Jesus says, that's not at all what God has intended for, for our lives. That's not how he has intended for us to live with one another um, on, this, on this planet. And so the passage is in Matthew chapter 20. If you'll uh, pull out your Bible or your Bible app and turn to Matthew chapter 20, we'll be in verse uh, 22. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. So this is a conversation, like I said earlier, this is a conversation initially with uh, a mom of two of the disciples and Jesus 
And then later, Jesus collects the, all of the 12 disciples and, and kind of has like a, uh, a huddle talk with them. That, that's how, how it kind of finishes it up. Uh, but I find it interesting that this mom of these disciples, so it is believed that the disciples, when Jesus first called them, except Peter, we don't actually know any of this, but it's, firm, it's pretty firmly believed that, that the disciples were actually teenagers, like maybe what would be junior or senior in high school at this point, uh, whenever Jesus called them. Except Peter, he was a little bit older. Uh, and so it was kind of like uh, a really tiny student ministry. Jesus was just the first youth minister, right? Um, <laughs> that's an old student ministry joke. But, uh, but no, like they were, they were believed to be teenagers, at least close to 20, a little younger than that. That's not even the point of what I'm trying to say here. Um, but even at that point, like, how many, like, 18-year-olds do you know are, like, hanging out with some guy for a long time, and then they, like, want something from him, and they're like, hey, mom, mom, can you go talk to Jesus for me? Can you please go talk to Jesus? I really want this thing, right? Uh, that's that's kind of how, this is, like, JJ's, like, interpretation that's, like, non-authoritative at all um, of how I see the Bible. I like to envision, like, how things would have gone down, uh, and so just kind of keep that in mind as you read here. This is, like, these two guys, James and John, um, two of like the 12 disciples, like two of what we would call like apostles, like some of the greatest men in Christian history, their mom comes to talk to Jesus, okay? That's where we are. Have I set it up enough for you? Chapter 20, verse 20. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. She asked him for a favor. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say to these two sons of mine, um, excuse me, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Let's stop there for a second. So, so this mom, she comes to Jesus. So Jesus has just given the third prediction. This is the third time just before this passage that he's predicted that he's going to die. Like, they've been hanging out with Jesus for a couple of years at this point. Over that time, he's told them, like, the, the end point of all of this is his death. Like, that's the whole deal. So this is the third time that we see in Scripture, at least, that he's told them, he's predicted, I'm going to die, right? And so they, they spend enough time. They know from the teachings that he's given that, that not only is he going to die, even though they get really confused when it actually happens, but he's not going to stay dead. They know that he's going to sit on the throne in heaven as king of the universe, he's going to go back to the throne that he has, right? He's going to ascend as king. Um, and so in their minds, they're, they're thinking earthly kingdoms, and they think, okay, we can't be Jesus, right? One guy tried that, didn't work out well for him. Um, that's Satan, by the way. And, uh, and so, okay, all right, we can't be the king, that's Jesus. So the next best thing is to sit at the right hand and the left hand of the king because those are like, that's like second in command. You've got all, pretty much as much authority in the kingdom as the king. Like there's nobody higher than you than the king at that point. And so they're trying to sort of jockey for position in this kingdom, which clearly means that they still, even though they've spent a couple of years with Jesus, they still don't understand this kingdom of heaven thing, this whole kingdom of God deal, what it's all about. And so... Uh, they clearly thought that they deserved to sit at the, the right hand and left hand uh, of Jesus being second in the command. Um, but I think we can be 
we can be really quick to judge when we think, like, you're disciples. Like, you've literally got to walk with Jesus and hear his teaching and that kind of stuff. How can you fall into this sort of thinking? But we all sort of naturally fall into this. That's a sin nature in us that, that draws us to think about ourselves, to think about our status, to kind of position ourselves for something a little better, for uh, maybe to, to get into a position of leadership or whatever. This is not saying it's, it's bad to be in positions of leadership, but we, we, often, do, we often think that way that's in, in a selfish manner. Um, and so this, again, this all takes place with Jesus predicting his death for the third time. Um, and these, these guys... Um, it wasn't just the mom, right? Like, we see the mom, she's the one asking. But these guys, they're old enough. Like, they're there with their mom. It's not like she drugged them kicking and screaming to go talk to Jesus. They're in on it, right? Uh, and if you go over to, we're not going to jump there, but if you go over to Mark's gospel and you read the story of this, like, it tells, it tells you in there. Like, you mar- merge those two stories and it gives you kind of a better picture that they were, they were in on it the whole time. And so they're jockeying for position. Um, but we're so quick to judge uh, on this stuff. But the reality is we're just... We're just like them. We, we try to do all the same things. But how does, Jesus, how does Jesus respond? So let's read on. Verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by the Father. I love Jesus' response here because, I mean, he says, he's like, look, you don't know what you're asking. So again, he's pointing out, like, you don't get it. Like, you, all the times I've told you how this kingdom things, this kingdom of God thing works, this kingdom of heaven, like, you don't get it. You don't know what you ask for. He says, can you drink the cup that I am to drink? He could have been, I mean, like, Jesus could have just lashed out and like verbally crush them at this point. He could have taught them like some kind of like lesson. You ever like said something to your mom and then she like lectures you about it, right? Like Jesus could have gone into like this lecture uh, on them and just like verbally just crushed them. Like you're an idiot. Why would you think this, right? But Jesus, he's not like you and I, where like I can imagine there's several times in the, in the gospels, if you read, if, if it were me, I'm so glad it wasn't that it was Jesus and not me. But if it were me, I would just sit and look at the disciples and just be like, for the 100th time, right? Like, that, that's how I would react. Like, there's so many times, like, if you're reading the scripture, you know, you're reading in hindsight, which is 2020. And so you're like, Peter, do you not get it? Like, this is Jesus, right? <laughs> and so, but Jesus, he doesn't do that. He can, but he doesn't. How does Jesus respond? He responds with grace. Now, he asks some questions, and he does point them in the right direction, but instead of doing that in a harsh way or in some kind of, like, lecture format, he, he responds with grace. And I, I love that. He just simply told them that they, they didn't understand what they were asking. Um, and it, it kind of gets them thinking uh, about what's going on. He asked them if they could drink the cup he was going to drink. That really is another way of a phrase in that would be, are you willing to endure the same suffering as me? That's, that's what he was saying. Like, are you willing to do what I'm about to do? Are you willing to literally give your life for others and for me? Are you willing to die for me? That's what he was, that's what he was asking them. If they were willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. Let's read on. Verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant, they were mad, at the two brothers. 
both Je- uh, but, excuse me, but Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's a phrase, a name he liked to call himself a lot. Um, So even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus takes this and he gives an action step to the disciples and by way of scripture to us, right? So these, the other 10 disciples start hearing that these brothers are like jockeying for, for position. They start hearing like they asked, their, they got their mom to go do their dirty work for them, right? And so like I can imagine Peter, he's like real brash and like direct and stuff. He walks over and he's like, James, what are you doing, bro? Like, and then they get all up in each other's face and I kind of tussle in and Jesus has to like walk over uh, and he doesn't like walk up and like smack their heads together or something, which is what I would want to do. Uh, but Jesus walks over and he's like, hey, hey, listen up, listen up, right? And then he, he kind of just sets the record straight. He says, he says, you see the earthly rulers, you see the kings and the governors uh, and, and even the tax collectors, like you see all these people on earth with these positions of power, and you see how they abuse that power, right? They lord their authority over their subjects, command and demand all of these things and use their position for their own gain, for their own riches, for their own self. He says, that's not what I'm calling you to do. And, and that's really not even how you become great. You might become great in the eyes of men here, but in the kingdom of heaven, the way you become great is actually to lower yourself, to become a servant. And Jesus, like I mentioned earlier, was the greatest example of this. Jesus didn't spend like three years on earth just saying like, hey, you need to humble yourself and be a servant, and then that was it. Like Jesus lived it out. In just, in just a short while, Jesus is going to lower himself to the lowest servant position in his day in history, right? Like, who in here think feet are gross? Yeah, yeah, you're my people. Feet are the grossest, right? And like, all right, all right, shh, right? Feet are gross, we've established that, but like even in our time, like, we like shower and like hopefully you wash your feet on a regular basis and that kind of stuff, Uh, and we wear socks that kind of keep them, it might be stinky, but they're not like dirty, but in Jesus' time, listen, shh, back in. You don't have to have a conversation about feet. Here we go. In the middle. Hey. Back in. Okay. So in Jesus' time, they were walking around in sandals. They didn't have, like, showers and stuff, right? And so, and they would go, like, days just walking around in, like, all the dirt and mud and all these kinds of things, uh, up and down these mountains and all these things. Uh, and whenever they would come to a home, they would, they would take their sandals off. And then a servant, the lowest position because... It's like one of the nastiest things, right? The servant would come and they would, and would wash all of their feet. And so Jesus, literal God of the universe, creator of all things, in just a little while, is going gonna, is gonna to kneel down in front of the, all 12 of these men and is going to wash their feet. He's going to be the example of a leader who humbles himself to a servant. Then, even greater than that, 
Jesus, as he says right here, give, he will give his life as a ransom for you and for me. He didn't have to. There's a lot of other things that could have happened. Jesus could have stayed in heaven and never even come to earth at all if he wanted to. But he chose to step onto earth as a human. Actually, he came as, as a baby, right? Like he came uh, and experienced life the way you and I experienced life, lived it perfectly, and then gave his life so that we could gain eternal life, so that we could, if we believe in him, we put our faith in him, that we could, our sins could be erased, could be forgotten by God, and we could be brought into relationship with him. Outside of that, we are lost and broken, and there's no hope. But Jesus, the leader of all, the creator of all, chose to lower himself, which ultimately made him the greatest. Right? And so that's what Jesus is trying to convey here, is that the way you gain greatness in the kingdom of heaven is to actually lower yourself. It's hard because everything within us, the sin nature in us and the culture around us, all scream that you have to do for you, that you have to do what's best for you, that you have to be the best, you have to get the best, you have to have everything, you have to gain, you have to gain money, you have to do all these things. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's all about. That's not at all what it's about. So if you want to know what serving looks like, being a servant, that's, that's it right there. What Jesus did is he had all the power, but he gave it all up. So he said to, the, to his disciples, are you willing to give your life for others? Are you willing to give your life for me? And he asks us the same question. If we choose to follow him, we're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever he calls us to do. And so he asks us, if you want to really be great in this kingdom, are you willing to give your life? Now, most of us it's not going to be to martyrdom, right? Like James and John, they did go on to be killed because they were Christians. They went on after Jesus rose, and they went out to spread the gospel to the nations, and they both, they both were killed because they were Christians. They were sharing the gospel, uh, and they're some of the greatest men to have ever lived, right? Most of us, that's not what we're called to, but maybe. But maybe for some of us, it looks like maybe giving up video games a little bit here and there to go serve in the community, Maybe it looks like giving up some money that we've set aside for something so that we can give it to, to help those in need, to help the poor. Maybe it means stepping up and serving in greenhouse. We have all kinds of different things that go on in here that we need help with. Maybe it's serving in the children's ministry, or maybe it's a combination of all of those things. The list could go on and on and on what God is calling you to do, how you, it, you need to step off of a pedestal and to serve. To really make a difference in this world. It requires us to not only shift our attitudes from ourselves and onto other people, but it requires us to take action. It's not just a mindset. There is a mindset of, of trying to make sure that we're not just focused on ourselves and doing things for ourselves, but it requires action. And that's what Jesus was proving with this. He says it's not just about words because actions speak louder than words. 
What Jesus is calling you and I to do is to step up and to serve others, to put others before ourselves.